The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Let's jazz it up. Let's all get together now. Welcome to the Laura Theodore Podcast. You may know me from my popular television show, Jazzy Vegetarian, where I feature easy and delicious vegan recipes, along with tips for living a kinder, plant-based life. Now I invite you to join me here each week, where I'll welcome amazing guests to share upbeat and informative conversations featuring motivational lifestyle advice and nutritional guidance, plus lots of jazzy-licious recipe ideas. It's all served up with sensational music on the side. Music. So let's get talking. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Laura Theodore podcast. This is my brand new podcast and I am so happy to be here with you today. I'm sending you good wishes to you and your loved ones for a healthy, happy and peaceful holiday season. And I hope that this podcast today will inspire you, inform you and even entertain you. Yes. So I am super, super stoked because today we have one of my very, very favorite people in the world, the incredible, the one and only Nava Atlas. And she's going to talk about her newest release, Vegetariana, a rich harvest of wit, lore, and recipes. Now, what you may not know about the incredible Nava is not only is she a master vegan cook, and she's had so many cookbooks and an incredible person, but she is also an absolutely amazing artist. And in this book, she has so many of her beautiful drawings, excellent recipes, information about vegetarianism and veganism. It's it's a fantastic book. So I'm going to be talking with her in just a minute. I'm just so excited. But later on in the program, I'm going to be sharing, of course, I know you're waiting for it, my jazzy recipe of the week. And it's a jazzy, licious vegan entree for the holidays or for any meal that you may be serving your family throughout the winter or summer season. It's really a great recipe for any time. So I want you to please stay tuned for that. Well, it is now my great honor to welcome Nava Atlas, who is author of many best-selling vegetarian and vegan cookbooks, including Five Ingredient Vegan, Vegan Holiday Kitchen, Vegan Soups and Hearty Stews for All Seasons, and Plant-Powered Protein. Her newest release, Vegetariana, A Rich Harvest of Wit, Lore, and Recipes, was first published in 1984. And Vegetariana is a beautifully hand-illustrated cookbook, which is now in its fourth edition, and for the first time, it is entirely vegan. 
Vegetariana is here for new readers to enjoy and original fans to rediscover. And Nava also creates visual books on women's issues, including the literary Lady's Guide to the Writing Life. And she runs two websites, theveganatlas.com and literaryladiesguide.com. And I'd like to welcome her to the program right now. How are you today, Nava? I'm good. How are you, Laura? I'm very good. I'm so excited to have you here on this first episode of the Laura Theodore podcast featuring Jazzy Vegetarian, of course, and uh, because this book is just absolutely amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I have to give you a shout out because you referred me to the printer who printed this book properly for the first time in its very long life. So I really thank you for that. Well, you are so welcome, and I am so excited, is what I meant to say, because the book just, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it looks so fantastic. And what I love about this is it's for art lovers, it's for food lovers, it's for cookbook lovers, it's for vegan who are plant-based, people who are plant-based and vegan, but also people who are not vegan. I mean, it's just, well, it's a book for everybody, and I'm hoping everybody's going to pick up a copy. Of course, you can learn more at theveganatlas.com. But I'd love to get into this because it's really a very interesting history with this book. And let's just talk first a little bit about your artistic process behind the book. How did did it all start I, almost 40 years ago? Yes. Well, at the time, I was a, a struggling graphic designer and illustrator in New York City. And um, I was, at the time, a vegetarian. I don't even, the word vegan had been invented in the 1940s, as I've learned. But it really, really wasn't in the atmosphere at all. So, you know, we were vegetarians. And even then, being a vegetarian made you enough to be a weirdo, right? So, um, I don't know, it just... We we really I, I was living in a loft with my new husband and um, really struggling and wanting to do something that was completely my own, not just going from one job and one paycheck to another. I was already an avid cook, and whenever I make something new, my husband would just say, "Write this down so that you can write so that you can make it for us again." So after a while, I did, and then I found myself a couple of years later with a whole bunch of recipes. And I'm not sure exactly what put the notion into my head, but I've always loved drawing and I've loved reading. One of the things that uh, you left out about, what, you know, who this would appeal to, also literature lovers. I've always been really such a bookworm, and I have literary quotes in here from so many different authors. And, and it just, you know, it just came to me to put together a really unusual cookbook of folklore, literary quotes, and my drawing and my graphic design. I can't tell you, I was so naive at the time. It's a really long story how it got published, but it wasn't as arduous as I thought it would be to find an agent and then you know, a really top-notch cookbook editor in New York. I kind of got lucky. And um, then when it came out, it was selected as, if people remember book clubs, it was selected as a main selection of a book club. It really wow. launched my career. Wow, wow. That part I I never knew. And of course, yes, folklore, all the quotes are amazing throughout the book. And just the illustrations. I love researching it. Yeah. The illustrations are just so beautiful. Just 
Absolutely incredible. I, I could never, never describe them. But, it, you know, what I think is great is that I really connected with what Publishers Weekly said in 1984 when their review predicted this book should prove itself a classic. And it certainly has all these years later. But who was publishing at the time? Oh, in general, uh, you know, uh, you mean vegetarian cookbooks? Yeah, yeah, publishing? yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, this was really way before email, internet. I was like really living in my own world. But I think um, when you think back to the 70s and 80s, the Moosewood Cookbook by Molly Katzen had already come out. And if, if this book is a classic, I would say it's more like a cult classic because her book sold, you know, a million plus copies. You know, this book didn't sell nearly as much. But then there was Anna Thomas and the Vegetarian Epicure. And if you remember how those books look, sort of like semi-hippie, dippy looking with a hand illustration. So this is very much in that genre. Although, you know, I think that as far as sheer numbers... Anna and Molly sold more. But, you know, for somebody who was in her 20s and really naive and really shy, this was quite a leg up in the business. And the first publisher of this book was the Dial Press, which was a division of, at the time of Doubleday. Wow. So it was, it was a good publisher. I mean, there were mistakes made, certainly. Mm-hmm. It was me who really had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, somehow I, I found my way in this business. It, it, it's absolutely amazing. And I remember, you know, that was around the time, uh, uh, several years prior to that, uh, around, um, I guess, uh, 1979, 1980, that I started becoming really interested in vegetarian, same thing, cooking at the time. And there was like, well, wait a minute, there aren't any books. You have to kind of figure this out yourself. Um, you know, there was so little uh, so few books out that that really spoke to me at that time, and you know that's where my journey started because I was like, well, I'm going to take Grandma's recipes and Mom's recipes and all these classic recipes, and I'm going to start making them vegetarian and then eventually vegan. And, and that brings me to my next question. Not only were there you know way fewer books then, obviously, but the Cookbooks themselves have really, really changed, particularly cookbook trends and particularly, yeah, and particularly in, in our, in the, in the vegan genre. Just talk a little bit how you think cookbook trends have changed over the past 40 years. It's been such an enormous change that it's, it's almost hard to know where to begin. But as we were saying, there were really maybe, I don't know, 10 Authors, 15 authors doing vegetarian books at the time. I mean, authors, there's probably were a lot of smaller ones, but the ones that really broke through, you know, think of the Tassajara book. And when I first became a vegetarian in high school, my uh, cousin bought me a copy of the Whole Earth Cookbook, which I still have, because even at the time, I'd start scrawling in my own notes and how to change this recipe and that. But the aesthetic, you could only describe it as hippie. It was always printed on, you know, yellowish or brownish paper and, you know, hand, you know, so that was the aesthetic and that was sort of the message that these kind of books are for hippies and people are outside the mainstream. Yep. Yep. Now, what a change. I mean, I feel like 
it's almost too hard to compete anymore just in the vegan realm, let alone if you combine it with the vegetarian and vegan realm. There are, you know, there really, there literally, there are countless cookbooks and the aesthetic now is, it's, it's really important to have um, photographs. People mm-hmm. want photographs. And I think that's partially because of the web, but also, you know, we always say this is an expression you eat with your eyes. So you look at something, you know, I notice even with my own books, I'm more likely to make a recipe that has a photo attached to it in the book, yep. which is really yep. weird because I shouldn't really be feeling that way. Yeah, there's something about a photo that will show you what the results will be. Back then, I think the expectations were just very different from what you'd want in a cookbook. I think the, also the early Moosewood, not the Molly Katzen ones, but the Moosewood restaurant cookbooks also had no photos in them. They also had to, you know, look a little bit more sophisticated, but still a little bit of the message of, you know, we're basically hippies here. I agree. Um, and, I, and I never thought of it quite that way, but it just brought something to mind to me that relates to um, what you're saying as far as people, you know, even as much as 10, 12, 15 years ago, still thinking of vegetarians and vegans as hippies when I first uh, submitted my television program after we'd been shopping it for close to three or four years to all the major channels. When we first were submitting it to PBS and public television for distribution, we finally got our presenting station, who was going to be helping to distribute it, you know, to where all the places it is now. And he said, well, you know, I decided to accept the program because, um, you know, my colleague in California and LA said, yeah, she, you know, she's great. She, she looks like all American rather than the typical (laughs) vegan who looks like a hippie with Birkenstocks on. And I thought, oh my God. And this was like in 2011, people still think of vegetarians and vegans as hippies from the 1960s. It's, It's like, man, this is, this is really crazy. And The point I'm bringing is that really, to me, it's over the past 10 years that all of a sudden, and of course, the past two years uh, in particular, where all of a sudden everything's just going at warp speed as far as the development of the vegan culture, the plant-based culture, and vegan cookbooks. I agree with you 100%. It's like now it's all about the photos when even as much as 15 years ago and certainly 40 years ago when these other books came out that, that you were talking about, where you wouldn't even expect to see a photo, let alone, you no, know. No, there weren't photos. It was just too prohibitive yeah. for publishers to do a, a cookbook with photos. And if it were, like when you're going back to like the 50s, they were those really heinous, really, really weird photos that where the colors were really off and things like that. So, you know, in magazines and in books. So, yeah, you know, not only has the aesthetic changed, but... When you think about, and you probably really are aware of this also, the availability of ingredients and substitutes. Like I have my my soups book is already so dated and it was published in, uh, you know, that also went through many editions too. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I, I recommend rice milk and soy milk, which is all we had even like 12 years ago. Now there's so many more and better plant based milks. So I feel like time to revise it again. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really, really true. Now, what most people might not know is that Vegetariana started vegetarian and now finally it's vegan. And um, that's what this uh, particular beautiful revised edition is. So I, I can't even imagine doing this. What was it like to revise a book that originally came out so many years ago and you know, all the revisions you made, plus making all the recipes vegan. What kind of process was that? Yeah, well, that's interesting to me because uh, sometimes when I'll do a program or a book signing at a venue or a library, people will bring these battered, falling apart copies of Vegetariana from years ago, saying, oh, they've used it so much. And I'm almost embarrassed because I feel like, you know, I did these recipes when I was in my 20s. I barely knew what I was doing. And I guess somehow they work for people. Some people said, oh, my mom used to use this all the time. I grew up on these recipes, but I feel like, you know, it was harder to do the drawings this time around. I did maybe 20 or 25 new drawings, but, you know, it was easier to revise and update the recipes, I guess, because I've had so much experience up till now. But, you know, mainly it was a matter of streamlining it, just making sure I don't have like clunky uh, directions. You know, if, if something something already had low fat milk in it it's not a big switch to just put the mm-hmm. same amount of plant-based milk good point for good example point. um yeah. it so that part wasn't that arduous but i also replaced some of the original recipes because i thought they just don't cut it anymore we're just you know going back to like we said kind of very like hippie aesthetic so mm-hmm. in the years intervening because i've had my website i've had a you know had a lot of new recipes that i could just slide in and they would still fit into yeah. a certain page well we'll talk more about the recipes in just a minute but i do want to talk about the fact that i am just so excited about the three of the more than 150 illustrations that are in this book they're coming up for auction at the prestigious Swan Galleries in New York City, I think on December 16th. Is that correct? That's correct. I don't have the URL yet, but if anybody is interested, they could just Google Swan Galleries. That's with two N's. Illustration Auction, December 16th. and it'll, it'll pop up. Wow. What does that feel like? I mean, that is like uh, epic. I'm very pleased by it. I did some of the original illustrations years. It's nice because this way I they'll get more exposure, and it'll establish a new you know price range for them. I have many illustrations, so if anybody's interested, they could just contact me through my website. Fantastic. Some of them well, that- are owned by a couple of them are owned by museums, but I still have a lot of them. Wow. Well, um, you can always contact uh, Nava through the veganatlas.com. That's the veganatlas.com. And do check out her other website, literaryladiesguide.com. We're actually going to be talking about that website um, next year uh, when I'm uh, going to be interviewing Nava again, I hope. Uh, she'll come back and join us again. But uh, do visit Nava's website, theveganatlas.com. And we are, of course, speaking with the incredible Nava Atlas, who is author of Vegetariana, A Rich Harvest of Wit, Lore, and Recipes. And, of course, you're going to want to pick up a copy for yourself, and you can get that 
at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. You can learn more about it at TheVeganAtlas.com. Well, we are almost out of time, but of course, we have to talk about the recipes. So first, I do. I've got to know because I've gone through the book and I keep thinking, well, which ones does she like best? What are a few of your favorite recipes from this book? Um, well, you know, the, the sweet and sour cabbage soup still holds up for me. And it's also accompanied by one of my favorite early illustrations of the baby in the cabbage. Uh, anything having to do with noodles. And, um, you know, I kind of almost pair my favorite recipes with some of my favorite illustrations. So I have this apple pistachio salad that I really like, and I paired it with a quote by Che Guevara and a drawing I did of him. Um, the, the quote is, the revolution is not an apple that falls when it's ripe. You have to make it fall. And he's just so fun to draw. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, the pasta and noodles. I've always been, you know, very much of a noodle girl. Mm-hmm. I love those recipes, too. And, uh, of course, we are Hanukkah was early this year, so we're past the time for Hanukkah. But um, I think that your holiday potato kugel recipe is something that anybody could make all year long. And I'm hoping you would just share that wonderful recipe with us today. Sure. I'll try to make it quick. You know, recipes, it's not interesting to read off a recipe. But basically, kugel means casserole in Yiddish. And this is a real classic, very easy to make. And since we're not using eggs anymore, we make oatmeal to, to hold it together. And my mom used to make something like this. It was one of the few things of hers that I really liked. So first of all, you soak the oats in hot water and to make like, a, you know, the, the, whatever holds it together. And you take a pound of potatoes, three carrots, and a large onion, and you grate them. And I've also found since my Cuisinart grater broke that I just buy organic hash browns that are already grated. It's sort of like a, a little cheat. That's <laughs> a good really, idea. Uh, so, yeah. It's so convenient. And then you combine it with your oats and some seasoning, and you bake it for... Uh, a good almost hour at 400 degrees. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but the point is to get the outsides really, really crispy and crusty. That's what makes it really yummy. And then, you know, you let it cool a little bit, cut into squares, and it goes down so easy. It just disappears in minutes. Oh, I can't, I, I have to, I read that recipe. It says, I have got to make this. I have, I have to make this. Um, well, and I think the recipe is posted at theveganatlas.com. Is that correct? Oh, that's true. Yes, it is posted there. Fantastic. With the photo. Fantastic. So if anybody would like to make that recipe, and I highly recommend that you check out Nava's fantastic recipes, her great website. And Nava, it is always just such a great honor to have you on this program. And uh, before you leave us today, just give us a, uh, just one of your top tips for keeping calm and stress-free, but serving good food that is vegan, of course, during the holiday season. Oh, that's a great question. And my answer is always just, you know, keep it simple and make it with love. You don't need to make fussy things in order for them to be good. And then if we are expanding our circles a little bit more this year, which some of us are very carefully, just, you know, make it into a potluck. It doesn't have to fall on one cook's shoulders. Those make things so much easier and so much less stressful. I love it. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. I wish you and your family a very happy, healthy, and peaceful holiday season. Thank you so much, and same to you. Thank you. Well, that was the amazing, the incredible Nava Atlas. You want to visit Nava at theveganatlas.com. And of course, pick up a copy of her incredible book, Vegetariana, A Rich Harvest of Wit, Lore, and Recipes. And you can pick that up online or in stores, wherever fine books are sold. Well, I'm going to get to that recipe of the week, but first, a bit of jazzy news Hey, we're so excited. Season 8 of Jazzy Vegetarian on Public Television is now continuing to re-air all across the nation. Once again, on the Create channel every Sunday and every Monday. So I hope you're going to tune in. And if you want to learn more about Jazzy Vegetarian on public television and PBS. Learn about all of my cookbooks. My new book is coming out in February, Easy Vegan Home Cooking. And just learn more about us, see videos, get lots and lots of free recipes. It's a fabulous place to visit. You want to go to jazzyvegetarian.com. That's jazzyvegetarian.com. And if you want to learn more about me, Laura Theodore, you can just click on About and you'll learn more about me and just get a lot of nice stuff happening there. Do visit us on social media as well. If you have any questions, make sure to just send me an email or pop a post on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Well, I know you're waiting for it. This is a fantastic recipe for the entire holiday season because, of course, it's vegan, but it is also gluten-free, but it's also kind of meaty tasting, and it's my recipe of the week. Vegan and delicious, my recipe of the week. My walnut and quinoa stuffed portobello mushrooms. This is a real fan favorite, folks, and I first came up with this recipe Quite quite a few years ago now, I had some friends uh, visiting in from New York City. And, uh, of course, I needed the recipe to be vegan, but they wanted the recipe to be gluten-free and also soy-free. That's what's great about this. So all the three things that uh, your holiday visitors or your family might be looking for in a holiday entree. But it's really festive. It's a really... It's, it's just so good. So these meaty-tasting walnut and quinoa-stuffed portobello mushrooms are filled to the brim with hearty quinoa, walnuts, sweet red peppers, and fresh basil, making them a colorful, crowd-pleasing entree. They're just fantastic. So make six to eight servings. You're going to start off with one cup of uncooked quinoa, thoroughly rinsed and drained, two cups of water, Half of a large vegan bouillon cube, or you can also use two cups of a very strong vegetable broth. Either one is just fine and dandy. Eight portobello mushrooms with the stems removed. You want to wash them well, of course, but I like to leave the gills in for this recipe. You can remove the gills if you prefer. Two tablespoons plus two teaspoons of extra virgin olive oil. Quarter teaspoon of sea salt plus more as needed. Two-thirds of a cup of diced sweet pepper two-thirds of a cup of walnut halves, chopped, half a cup of chopped fresh basil, third of a cup of roasted and salted cashews, chopped, two cloves garlic, minced, three tablespoons of capers, drained and rinsed, two teaspoons all-purpose seasoning blend, eighth teaspoon freshly ground pepper, 
and that's black pepper, of course, and basil sprigs for garnish. That's, that's the whole thing. You're just going to put that quinoa in a saucepan with the water and the bouillon cube, cover and bring it to a simmer over medium-low heat. Cook for 15 to 17 minutes or until all of the water is absorbed. Fluff it with a fork, remove it from the heat, and let it cool for about 20 to 30 minutes. Now, the great thing about this for a holiday meal, I must interject. You can cook the quinoa up to 24 hours in advance of preparing the recipe. Just cover it, refrigerate it until you're ready just to you know, do this stuffing for your mushrooms. And that's what makes this a really fantastic holiday recipe because you can make everything in advance. And when I make this recipe, that's what I like to do is cook the quinoa. 24 hours in advance. So there you go. So when you're getting ready to uh, cook the mushrooms, you want to preheat the oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and line a large rimmed baking pan with unbleached parchment paper. Then you're going to put the, the mushrooms gill side up on your prepared baking pan. Drizzle half a teaspoon of olive oil and a dash of sea salt over the gills of each mushroom. Then you're going to put your cooled or cold quinoa your sweet red pepper, your walnuts, your basils, your cashews, your garlic, your capers, your all-purpose seasoning, and your eighth teaspoon salt, and your black pepper in a large bowl. Now, of course, you can pre-cut the peppers, pre-chop the walnuts, pre-chop the cashews, even pre-cut the garlic. You do want to wait and uh, chop up that basil right before you stuff the mushrooms. But all of the rest of that, that those, uh, you want to do a day before or in the morning, and that's going to save you time. So that's a great jazzy tip. So you're going to put those all in a large bowl and then just stir it really gently with a large spoon to combine and then put one third heaping cup of that quinoa mixture into each of your mushrooms. Kind of pat it down so it's nice and so it looks nice, I guess. And then brush the top of the quinoa mixture on top of the mushroom with about a half teaspoon of olive oil using a pastry brush or the back of a small spoon. Tent the mushrooms with foil. Bake for 50 minutes or until the mushrooms are soft. Now, if you've got thinner, smaller mushrooms, you're going to bake them for more towards 40 to 45 minutes. If the mushrooms are really, really thick, you might even want to bake them up to 55 minutes. You just want to make sure that those mushrooms are nice and soft. That's what kind of gives them that meaty texture. Anyway, remove the foil from the mushrooms. Bake them uncovered for 10 to 15 minutes or until the top of the stuffing gets slightly golden. Oh, they're so, so yummy. Put them on a wire rack and let them cool for 10 minutes before you're serving, and there you have it. My incredible walnut and quinoa stuffed portobello mushrooms. Yummy, yum, yum, yum. Well, in just a minute, we have a little jazzy music to play us out of the program, and that's what we're going to do right now. I am so pleased to bring a fantastic holiday tune from the late, great guitarist Joe Beck. You know, I did a wonderful album with Joe many, many years ago, and he also did an incredible Christmas album with the great flautist Ali Ryerson. And that's what I'm going to air for you today, an incredible holiday tune that everybody knows that makes us all happy. And it's Allie Ryerson and the late, great Joe Beck with their version of Jingle Bells. Jingle 
tune. Thank you, Allie, and many thanks to the great, the late Joe Beck, the most incredible guitarist ever. Well, it's been so fantastic being here with you today, and I hope that you join us every week. We've got a lot of incredible guests coming up this month, next month, and throughout the first of the year. But meanwhile, I'm wishing you good health. I'm wishing you happiness. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you everything good in your life. And I'm so honored that you've taken the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast because I know there's so many podcasts that you can listen to. And so until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be well. From the Laura Theodore Podcast, a.k.a. The Jazz Vegetarian. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth 
and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.